when you think about kind of where I came from and how my boss used to use me as that sniper going into managers and and just having conversations without any tools, <laughs> you add this tool to it and it becomes very powerful. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about your journey to becoming a culture coach, as I call you now. A culture coach. Actually, that's a nice phrase. Maybe I should start using it. Um, no, it's a long story. They, it's, but we'll try to shorten it up and hit the highlights. Um, but I just always had a knack to work with people, just kind of build rapport quickly and just first-line supervision, mid-level management. And the interesting part about my story when you think about it is there was only one track to go on. It was you know, you, you go supervision management and as far as you can go. Right. And I found out very quickly that I sucked at management. I mean, and I mean, maybe okay. in first line supervision, but as soon as I got into mid-level management, I just stunk. I couldn't build credibility. I didn't know what I was doing. It was like, do what I say. Why aren't you doing what I say? I mean, I was trying to be nice about it, you know, so it was just a mess. And just through numerous different position changes, uh, just ended up in human resources because I was doing some stand-up training and I was doing some some uh, some suggestion program coordination, so to speak. And and so I was thinking, I wonder what HR is doing over there. And just didn't even think twice about it. And about two weeks later, the VP of HR comes over and says, you want to transfer? And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So just thought about this. But so after in a 21 year career at uh, at Starkey Hearing Technologies, I was uh, in human resources and doing this kind of work, training and development. I was kind of heading up the training and development area, for lack of a better term, because we didn't really have one. And I didn't know what to do with one. I didn't know what it even meant. I came from manufacturing. I was building hearing aids, you know, so I didn't know what this all stuff was. And, and uh, so they said, well, you're doing some HR stuff. Um, what should we do with the rest of your time? And I was like, well, if you ask me, our managers need help. I mean, I was one and I didn't do very well at it. And number two, I'm sitting in these HR meetings with you guys and all you're doing is bashing all these managers. What are we doing to help them? And they went, yes, yes, you do that. Go, go, go do that. I'm like, well, you're asking a guy that doesn't know how to do it and had didn't done it really poorly. Got the worst review in my life when I was in mid-level management. And you're asking me to go teach these people how to do it. So I call it reverse credibility. I, I said, <laughs> so I go in and do sniper approaches with these poor managers that were having trouble. They're getting complaints for their employees and they'd send me in and I'd go sit down with them and go, Hey, listen, I've been in your shoes. I stunk at it. Let's just have a conversation. <laughs> and then it seemed to work. It just let down their guard. And it's like, really, you did, you didn't do this one. Well, no, I didn't do it. Well, I know exactly what you're up against. Let's just have a conversation about what better looks like. Cause I can't tell you what it looks like, but I know this isn't working. So kind of just started doing that. And my boss, the VP of HR, just started using me as he called it the sniper approach. And he would just send me in to managers who were struggling and just to have a conversation with them. And I had none of the credibility, none of the certifications, none of the education that I have now. But that's what I was doing. Um, the best story was... <laughs> 
He sent me into a leadership team executive, one of his peers. He said, we're getting complaints. He had five female master's level people working for this guy. And he was a high end, high end dude from the university of Minnesota academic and a PhD. And we were getting complaints in HR from all five of his female employees. And so my boss, VP of HR says, go in and tell him we're going to do a 360 and, and he's getting complaints from his employees. Go, go work with him. And I said, great. Does he know I'm coming? He said, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, does he know he has a problem? Uh, no. And I was like, whoa. Okay, so he doesn't know I'm coming. He doesn't know he has a problem. You sending me in to go just break the news to him. Yep. Like, okay, so I go and I talk with this guy and I get him. He didn't know me from Adam, right? I'm just a lowly HR dude and he's this highfalutin PhD and he's like looking at me with his arms crossed, kind of going, what are we here for? What, you know, why am I meeting with you? And it's like, don't waste my time. But I got him to be able to sit back and go, yeah, I really need to be, I should probably look at this. And so we set up a recurring meeting. But the kicker was, I got the great, great idea to go to his boss, the president of the company. And it's a $350 million organization. It's not a small organization at the time. Go to the president and I say, you know, I'm working with this dude. He purports to you. Um, just want to make sure that everything I'm doing with him is lining up with, you know, your expectations and so forth. And he goes, it was a three minute conversation. He goes, what are you doing working with him? He goes, don't waste your time. He said, I'd fire all five of the women and keep him. Don't waste your time. I was like, okay, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> went back to my boss. I said, we have no support for doing this. And I said, I just went to the boss, your boss, and, and not to go behind your back, but just to kind of get alignment. He knew what I was doing. And he said, Jim, you have to. I said, did you, did you not hear what I just said? We have no support. He told me not to. He said, no, you have to. I was like, oh, okay. So everything we did was clandestine. It was under the table, offsite so that we would hide it from the president. And it's like, it was the weirdest thing, but we would always just do these one-on-ones with managers who were struggling. In the meantime, I was kind of doing some HR stuff and, and training and development stuff. So it was uh, just a really cool run uh, of doing that. And, but I didn't really know, you know, what the tools were to be able to, to use it, to be able to do it well. And so Worked through that when they eliminated my position. I had to reinvent myself. And uh, this coaching theme uh, was out there. And I just knew that there was something there with the, the word coach, this, this coaching thing. And I uh, started diving into it. Received some coaching from a colleague from my wife. And at the end of this five-week, five-session program, she said, well, so what's the biggest takeaway? I said, I, I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> so kind of started going down the path of, uh, of coaching. 2006, I prayed really, really hard around it. Um, I'd been doing some just odds and ends stuff, and uh, Lord put it on my heart. So you got to be a coach, and uh, so I didn't know how I was going to do that. I had no money. Coach training was sending anywhere between seven and ten thousand dollars. I had no money to do it. Read a book, went through a fifty dollar, you know, teleclass, and. Sat down with a coaching friend of mine as I started networking with other coaches and people in the training and development industry. And I talked to him about what I was doing. He said, uh, asked me a really powerful coaching question. He said, what's stopping you from charging people? And I went, 
I guess I thought I had to have some kind of training or certification or something like that. He said, sounds like you know what you're doing to me. And so from then on, I started charging people. And it just kind of started grew, grew from there. That was probably 2007, 6, 7, something like that. So uh, it's a total God story when you think about it. But I, I uh, prayed hard about how this was going to work. I didn't know where I was going to land with it or if I needed to go out on my own or what the, what the issue was. And uh, was hooked up with the with a small was a small group leader at my church, and so I was on their database for for emails. And I got an email from the small groups pastor at our church, and uh, they were looking for they were actually starting a coaching ministry, and so they were looking for small group leaders to go through an accelerated coach training for sixteen weeks. It's about thirty five hundred dollar program for two hundred fifty bucks. So I looked up to heaven and I went, whoa. Wow. So, of course, I signed up right away. And the woman that was teaching it, um, after about the second or third session, um, I, I sat down. I said, you know, how did you get started? I wanted to network w- with you. And, kind of, you know, I started asking her some questions. She said, oh, I just, I just launched a, a coaching and consulting business and just myself, and I'm looking for good coaches. And I was like, sign me up. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, so we started a little boutique coaching firm in uh, like 2007 or she started before that and uh, she had already been certified in the assessments that I'm using and once I experienced that from her it was like night and day uh, just total night day when he sat down and really unpacked what this thing was and so uh, worked that for three years uh, with her and uh, that was a that was a ton of fun but the interesting part about it too I mean total god thing again we we had a, a connection with Cargill and uh and I went in, they were looking, they were doing a, a training and development program for their mid-level managers and they needed external coaches to walk through as a, as a piece of this program. And so I talked to my contact, she said, I'll side it up, set it up. I set up an interview or a meeting with the, the people that were running this, uh, the coaching part of this program. So I had a guy that was running the program and another kind of external coach or internal coach that was kind of, kind of, you know, vetting the coaches. And I sat down with them and, uh, had a meeting at Cargill headquarters and they asked me a bunch of questions. I answered them. I'm on fire for this stuff. Cause I'm just young and new at this, you know, and, and they hired me and I was going to get like 10 people. And there, it was in the meat solutions area of Cargill and they're all over the country, anywhere from accounting to slaughterhouse supervisor. I mean, you name it, it was anybody. And I'm driving home that night, that afternoon after the meeting. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And literally at that time I'd, I'd had probably four sessions of this 16 week sessions, 16 week coaching program. Probably had four sessions of it at that time. And they hired me and I'm driving home and I was like, they never asked me where I got my certification or how many hours of coaching I had. They never asked me anything about my experience coaching, true experience coaching. And they hired me. Because just before that, about a month before that, I had an interview with the, the head coach over at Thomson Reuters, and he asked me those two questions right out of the gate. Where'd you get your certification? How many hours of coaching you had? And I go, well, I don't really have any, and I haven't really coached anybody. <laughs> and he said, of course, well, I can't really turn you loose on executives or anybody here without you know some kind of cred- credentials. And uh, Cargill hired me, and we started doing it, and it was it was powerful. And so in 2010, I went out on my own. Uh, and through that 
boutique coaching firm that I was with. I got certified in the TTI assessments and I got uh, certified in a full year long coaching program, leadership coaching out of Virginia beach. And I haven't looked back since. I mean, it's just, uh, I know what it's what I'm going to do. I know it's where I have an impact. It's just, uh, it's so much fun working with people one-on-one and just plowing into unpacking who they are. And, uh, so 2010, I went out on my own, started right connections and, uh, it's finally getting some legs on it and we're, we're going now. So it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. Thanks to you too, which is cool. <laughs> you mentioned that you are using the TTI assessments. There are a lot of assessments, uh, in the marketplace for coaching and, and development and not all of them have a, a good background. You know, they all have a means to an end, yeah. if you will. Why TTI for you? Why have you? Why did you land on that? And how have you been able to marry that assessment tool with your per, your style of coaching? It's a great question. Um, well, first, it's it's the first one I was exposed to, which is which is good. But it's the second. It's just super powerful. I mean, you're right. There's a ton of assessments out there. Uh, many of them get a bad rap because really assessments don't tell you anything you don't already know. And I can give you the 75 page report and it'll go in a drawer somewhere. So, but the, the power of the TTI is they, is they, they put a bunch of them together. It's four assessments wrapped into one. It makes it relatively convenient and you're right. They're all good. I mean, Myers-Briggs is good. I just had a guy yesterday and I was doing a debrief on an assessment and he said, I asked, I always ask, have you taken other assessments like this before? And he said, oh yeah, I took some, I was called it the cutty or the cutter or something like that. I didn't even catch it. I'd never heard of it. And pretty much almost every time I, ask that question, I'm getting very often, I'm getting uh, names of assessments I've never heard of. And I'm in the industry, you know, they're out there. There's a ton of them. Um, but the beauty of the TTI it doesn't use anything that's, that's, you know, way out there weird. Although one of them is pretty unique, but it, uh, it's a combination of, of a, really a lot of good, powerful assessments. One is disc, which has been around forever. Pretty much everybody's taken it. Even this cutter, cutter one that this guy was talking about yesterday said, you know, it's that red and where everybody, the red people are all, you know, fired up and they're, you know, they're dominant and they go and, and then the white people are kind of laid back and easy going. I'm like, that sounds like a disc profile uh, of some kind. And in literally just in the twin cities area alone, there's probably at least a dozen different distributors of a disc like program or disc like assessment. And so, uh, TTI has disc and their own version of it, which is good. It's a good version, just like a, a lot of the other ones, but it also combines that with a driving forces or a motivator. So if you think about DISC as, as being the how you do what you do, kind of describing the, your behavioral style, then motivators is the why you do what you do. And so you put those together and you've got basically a Myers-Briggs. I mean, you've got your natural style right there. And it really doesn't change much. Yeah, that can move around a little bit here and there, but it, you don't set about trying to change that style. What you set about trying to do is manage that style through your thinking, the renewing of your mind, so to speak, right? And so we measure that too. And it's called the Hartman value profile. And that one does make TTI a little bit unique. Uh, I don't know a lot of other assessment companies that wrap in a, a Hartman uh, profile. And that's been around forever. It's the Hartman Institute. Robert S. Hartman is the kind of the founder of axiology, which is the science behind it. And uh, it's really just measuring how you're thinking and your attitudes and perceptions. But it's kind of combines this idea of then providing a snapshot of maturity. And so we can get a really pretty good picture of a person between looking at their natural style, the how and the why, and then combining that with how they're thinking about themselves and the world around them. 
and you get a really good picture. The way I think that that what I like about it is that it you you almost can't just give somebody the report. I mean, you almost can't. It's 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 too complex. And there's a ton of uh, consultants and coaches out there like me that just don't want to go down that path where it's just too complex. And it is very complex because it does require kind of an expertise to unpack it and describe what it means. What are the implications? And I think that's where the power of this process really is, at least for me, because when I experienced, I'm a poster child for this stuff. I mean, when I got, when I sat down with the, the, the gal that I went in business with and she had already been certified in it and she sat down with me and unpacked my assessment report for three hours. And it was like night and day. I mean, the light bulbs are going off like crazy about why things happened, why I did what I did, why I might struggle in my marriage, you know, <laughs> why Julie's frustrated with, you know, some of the things that I do and say, and you look out on the report and she's unpacking and I see the implications of it. Cause I had taken disc before and I got the report and it was my boss at, at my previous organization and she ran me through this. She was a training and development manager. I'd worked at American Express and all this and that. And I looked at it like, yep, that's me. So what? I mean, it might have helped her, but it didn't help me. And so the beauty of this process is really diving in and unpacking what's going on. And so that when you think about kind of where I came from and how my boss used to use me as that sniper going into managers and and just having conversations without any tools. <laughs> You add this tool to it and it becomes very powerful. And so I guess that's, if that answers the question, I think that's a, and then it's just so much fun when you start to see people, the light bulbs going off and uh, I just have a, I have a blast with it. One of the things that I know when I experienced it, one of the mm -hmm. biggest challenges and hurdles that, that I think most people will overcome, have to overcome in this process is that debrief session. Yeah. Three plus hours. Yes. Who's got time for that right. in this world? Right. So how do you overcome that to be able to sit down? And you can use my experience because that was the first time we mm -hmm. really spent a lot of time. It was when you took me through that right. journey. How do you overcome that when, when somebody says, I don't have three and a half hours, Jim, what, what this is, I, can you just give me the report? Right. Yeah, that's a, I get a lot of pushback on the three-hour time frame. And just in my trusted advisor forum, a guy, David Myers, just said, you know, if you could get it down to two, you'd be doing me a favor. <laughs> I said, David, I've tried to do that so many times. I've tried to shorten it. I've tried to combine different things to try to shorten it. It just, I really, really have a hard time doing it. Um, you know, people will reluctantly say yes, especially if their boss is, is writing the check, let's say, you know, uh, sit down with Jim, we're going to go through this. Really what ends up happening is I have to, I've, I've given a ton of these away. People have to experience it in order to be able to kind of go, okay, I see. I see where it lands. I see the power of it. Okay. And they're still a little bit reluctant about going through or even assigning their people to go through three hours of, of conversation with me. But nine times out of 10, it really goes, it goes so fast. And the participant looks back and goes, Man, that didn't that didn't feel like three hours at all. And can we keep going? I mean, that happens so often, and it, and it really then sometimes you know I can't keep them engaged, and they they two and a half hours we're done, you know. But the power's in the conversation, and so that's been kind of my tagline for a long time. But yeah, I, I do get a lot of pushback on it, and I and I 
tell people in the kind of the introductory email, it's like, okay, it's a robust process. You'll get insights you won't normally get. So try to set up the value that you'll get on the, on the front end as best I can. And then try to set their mind at ease on the, you know, right at the beginning and go, okay, this is going to be three hours, but you're going to, it's just going to go so fast. We're talking about you the entire time, which people, you know, unless you're extreme introvert and those do go shorter, <laughs> but People love talking about themselves. They love, you know, and it's amazing what comes out. You know, if you build rapport with, with people, I've gotten stories that they, people have not told anybody and they just met me for the first time. And it's amazing what ends up happening. That's it. That is a unique coaching experience mm -hmm. because oftentimes coaches are more about telling their own story and asking some questions, but it's not as powerful as what you've described in how your coaching style differs than many others. Mm -hmm. What do you attribute? You attribute some of that, I think, anyway, to your experience in, as you say, sucking as a as a mid level manager. Right, right. <laughs> what else? How, how do you feel like people are able to kind of pull down the the veil, if you will, in that first very first conversation with you? What yeah. What do you attribute that to? Yeah. I mean, I don't come at it as if I know anything. Um, I really don't. I mean, I, I got into coaching for the reason that I didn't have to have the answers. I mean, I, I prayed a lot about, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have answers. I mean, I, I left my 21-year career and I started looking for jobs that were similar. I couldn't do a job that was similar. I wasn't prepared to do a job that was similar. I would have had to back up. And that just didn't even cross my mind somehow. And so I kept praying, what can I do where I don't have to have answers? <laughs> and coaching came up. And the true meaning of coaching is you drawing out the best of the individual without having answers. And when I went through coach training, it was like, it was like the, the holy grail of how we should be working with people. To me, like, the power of just sitting back and asking questions and just talking about stories and not having the answer and letting the other person go. I'm like, I could wash my hands of the responsibility of making sure you're successful. Yeah, I'm all over. I want you to be successful, but it just, it played so beautifully to not having to have the answer. And the whole time I was in management, what do you think you need? Answers. Right? Everybody's looking to you for the answer. <laughs> And that's part of the reason I stunk at it is because I didn't have answers. I wanted to collaborate and ask questions and just talk with people. So what do you think? I mean, harmony and adaptability are my top two strengths. Harmony says I can see both sides. Adaptability says I don't care which way we go. <laughs> so I'm not going to be the guy with the answers. And so I, 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 it just plays to the way that I coach is really the trying to draw out the best of the individual. So when you think about classic coaching, that's out there to your point, it, it really is. Most executives want to coach in quotes that has been there, done that, that can help them stay out of the weeds because they've been in the weeds. Um, it's maybe they ask a lot of good questions and they draw them out, but at the end of the day, they've got a lot of mentorship that they can use, you know, and I don't come at it that way. It's completely different. And so the client base is, is going to be people that don't want to be told what to do. They've got the answers. They just need somebody to help them clarify what that looks like and support, encouragement, accountability, pushing it, pushing it. But it's not my agenda. It's their agenda. And 
So you know, coming at the TTI, I do the same thing. Even though in that particular meeting, it's mostly me talking. I'm telling stories, both personal, professional, uh, so that people can get a feel for where they where they sit in their scores against the extremes. Because I've seen it all. I've seen all the extremes. And so I can tell stories about the extremes and then it places you right here and you go, oh, okay. And then I ask a question. Tell me how that plays out for you. Tell me a story about, you know, where that, how you see this playing out. And then it's really fun because, again, the power's in the story. The power's in, okay, was that this gym kind of plays out like this? I mean, yeah, that, that could easily be, you know, what's going on there. So it's it's much less about me trying to make sure and change them. It's much more about them, me working with them so that they can change the way they want to change. You know, let's figure out what that is together. Sometimes there's no choice. We have to change. <laughs> Those are not sometimes not as fun, but transformation can happen in some of the, some of the weirdest places. So, yeah, I know it plays to my style of being what I call true coaching. I mean, the, the coaching word is throw, it's out there like crazy and everybody calls themselves a coach. And I'm kind of shaking my head a lot of times going, yeah, but that's not true coaching. You're, you're still giving advice. You're still providing feedback without asking unsolicited, you know, just, I do give feedback, but I usually try to ask, you know, is it, here's what I see. Can I say, can I share, you know, something like that. And of course they all want to know, you know, at that point they think that the coach is wise. I'm like, I don't have the answer. <laughs> I don't, don't look to me. <laughs> I think you bring up a good point in the distinction between what mm -hmm. coaching and mentoring actually are. They're two right. very different things. Right. And oftentimes people use those terminologies interchangeably. Yeah. I know when, when we first were introduced and you told me what you did and we're, we're talking about it from a very vulnerable place in many ways in the environment that we were in, it struck a chord with me. And it was partly because I've been on this leadership journey for 20 plus years. And like you, when I first started out, I sucked and I still mm -hmm. am not great at it today. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet what you described for your journey and what you use the assessments for it resonated because in our organization here and in my journey of leadership, what we've really come to understand is that it is about leading through others mm -hmm. to capture what they value the most and, and, and then tying those core values with the what uh, of, right. of what they do. And that's what really struck me because I've been through most of the assessments that you just described. Mm -hmm. And I've been in organizations where we do them, we check the box and we literally throw them into a drawer into a somewhere drawer. and nobody ever uses anything about them. Right. I've also been on the side of coaching and quite frankly, my coaching style, very different from yours, oh, yeah. was much more about the mentorship because I had been there, done that. Right. And most of my clients, that's what they were looking for, right. is not necessarily to give them the answers, but it was a very different way and style of coaching. So then we fast forward to our organization here, and we are a organization driven by creating a culture in which our core values and what we really believe stand out in everything that we do. So when we connected and you took me through that TTI, that three and a half plus hours mm -hmm. was, to say the least, exhausting for me. Oh, me too. Uh, <laughs> probably for very different reasons. <laughs> yeah. 
But it struck me as, yeah, that is the style in which our organization kind of has the rhythm and, and heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts as you and I engaged and how you thought you could add value to our organization. What was going through it from your perspective as we started to engage in this process? Oh my gosh, that, yeah, that's a, I love that story because uh, I had no idea. I mean, when I met you, and, you know, as soon as somebody tells me they work in HR, I'm like, well, you're my people. <laughs> we need to talk. And let me introduce you to this tool that I use. And let me run you through it. And then basically at that point, um, the way I've, <laughs> the way I started, I'm a little better now. But the way I started was, you know what? Let me run you through it. You tell me where it fits. <laughs> That's my sales process. <laughs> I'm going to run you through this thing. You tell me where it fits. And so that's kind of my same approach. I'm like, okay, here's a, here's a guy that is in kind of in a leadership position in HR. Then I need to be having some coffee with him and seeing if I can get him to run through the assessment. And because I know the power of the conversation sells itself. If it's going to work, you're going to see where it fits. Otherwise the style you're going to experience the style and go, you know, not, and I've had that many, many times. Somebody goes through it and go, Jim, this is really cool. Not sure how I can make this work. I'm like, okay, that's okay. So, you know, I really did approach it in the same way. I've, I've done hundreds of them with folks in your position and a leadership role in HR. And sometimes it goes and sometimes it doesn't where just experience the process. And then you tell me. And so that was my approach. I'm a little bit better now in the sense that, my ability to be able to articulate where the value is. Uh, what I've learned from you, John, is that you've been able to help me kind of articulate where the value is in this thing. That's what's so cool is you saw it and I've had other people see it, but they can't articulate where the true value is. And so it, it was a lot of one-offs. Whereas what's cool about FCP and, and working here with you guys is you see the value and how it fits. And thus I've had to, I've learned it as well. It's kind of by default. I know it does, but I never could articulate, articulate it. I know it does. I'm like, why wouldn't it? I mean, if I was in charge of an organization or an area, I'd be using this. If I was going to be a manager again, I wouldn't do it without this. I mean, I don't know. I knew it was there. I could never really fully articulate it to my, let's say prospects or my clients. Um, and so I was just banking on the idea that the good ones will get it <laughs> and they'll hire me. And that, that was exactly my approach. It's kind of funny and and don't tell Julie this, but uh, yeah, that's what my approach was. <laughs> there was no plan of trying to go, well, here's what I got to do. And here's my sales process. Here's what I got to say. Uh, and just recently, you know, I've been able to articulate the value really comes from the ability to, to build capacity using this tool and the coaching approach, building coaching skills into the leadership. I mean, you can take all of the Maxwell stuff. You can take all that leadership stuff. That's great. Use it. But if you're not utilizing coaching skills, true coaching skills, where you're drawing out the best of your people, really drawing out like a developmental coaching, you're missing a whole huge piece of potential in your talent. And this tool and true coaching skills adds capacity, capability, and leadership. So you don't have to have the monkey on your back. You can start pushing decisions down the ranks farther and you can build capacity without adding headcount. And when I start saying that, people start going, Oh, <laughs> and I think it probably just took me forever to really fully believe it. You know, I don't know what, what the deal was, but I now I'm totally sold out on it now. I mean, it's like, absolutely. Is it going to happen overnight? No, 
It's a long-term thing. So if we're going to engage, that's what I want. We're going to do long-term. We're going to build this into the process. We're going to build in coaching skills. I'm going to teach you how to coach. We're going to, I'm going to observe your coaching. I'm going to provide feedback to your coaching and it's going to be true coaching. It's not going to be you telling them what to do. It's going to be true coaching. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And then culture starts to change. So your point of my new title <laughs> starts to resonate when you kind of go down that path. Culture coach. And I never would have considered myself other than anything, just somebody doing one-off personal coaching assessment guy. I didn't even know what to call myself even a couple years ago. So it, it's been such a fun ride. And literally, I, uh, I've learned a lot just by working here with you and just your ability to be able to articulate and just help me see where the value is. And so it's like just being able to kind of sit back and go, yeah, this will work as we continually have these powerful conversations. Managers and leaders start to really learn how to kind of coach and use it. Pull it out. Use it when you're doing your one on ones. Who you got in front of you? And but it is complex. And I think one of the drawbacks is that, that it's so complex that, you know, are you going to remember what it means? Because what we really talk about in the debrief is what it means, not what the report says so much, but what it means. What's the implications of your style? What's the implications of how you're thinking? What does that mean? And that's where the power is. And as people come to authenticity about that and they start to own it themselves, and then they start to own it with their manager. Wouldn't it be cool if you could have a conversation with your boss about where you stink and what you really suck at and go and really be okay, completely okay, because here it is on your assessments right there. It's, it's all right. All right. How are we going to do this then? Right. Nobody does that. <laughs> Hardly anybody does that. I want to work in a culture like that. You know? And I, and I think it's, it's interesting when, you stop to think about that's the power of what you do, not the tool itself. Right. TTI is a, is a byproduct of finding and creating that type of coaching right. culture. And I think that is what drew me to it because in my heart, that's always what I've believed where the organizations, whatever they are, whatever industry mm -hmm. they're in will embrace that if they truly believe that that's what their culture should be as a mechanism for growth in the business. Right. And I think that's the difference oftentimes in how something like this is embedded in the organization. So let's go down that path yeah. a little bit, because as we looked at this, one of the first things I, I, I thought when I saw it and I went through it and experienced it myself for after I got over the three, oh my goodness, this, this is, <laughs> this is way too intense. And I literally went home that night. I was exhausted from the conversation, not because it was painful or bad, but right. because it was so enlightening. And I handed the report to my wife and I said, just look at the first couple of pages and mm -hmm. tell me what you see. And she looked at it and my wife's a teacher of young, uh, young children. And so I often will bounce things off of her because running a business, you're sometimes dealing with people who think about it from <laughs> as little children do <laughs> at times, but I gave it to her and, and I said, what do you think? And she looked at me and she smiled and she goes, I don't know why you think any of this is wrong This is, or, or that he was wrong in his assessment because that's you and you're going through much of this because in our uh, conversation, you we pulled, pulled out, out a couple, of it. We pulled out a couple things. Yeah, were, you, you know. pulled out a lot of things around the challenges that I was mm -hmm. facing in that moment. And 
they were spot on. And my wife went, well, yeah, he just articulated it better than you can. And, and, and he, and so as we looked at this in the organization, I thought if we're going to embed our culture, which is built around our core values and a values based model of the organization, particularly about our leadership, I thought, well, if we're going to do this, number one, we have to be able to get this at every level of the organization. And number two, we have to use it both on the front end in hiring people and in making decisions around moving people around in the organization, including moving people out. And so we went down that path and the, and the first year was a bumpy year Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, because we had a great big plan and we were going to (laughs) execute on that plan. And then COVID-19 hit and we all went, "Mm, okay, well, this is going to have to change. Right. And yet we stayed the course with much of it because there was a need for it in the organization. So Talk about it from the assessment side when we are looking at candidates, yeah. and, and I'll kind of feed into that about how yeah. we use it here. But from your perspective and and how we've gone about doing this, what's your recommendation to organizations when they think about using an assessment tool of any kind, but particularly the TTI for hiring? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if you're an organization and you're and you're hiring people of any at all you should be using some sort of an assessment that is EEOC compliant. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense not to yet anymore. You, I mean, you got to know the most you can know about the person before you pull the trigger and how they're going to fit with the, the person that they're going to be reporting to some of the rest of the team, how do they fit with the culture? Um, and you can get a lot of it from some of the basic assessments out there, but the, the TTI, I can tell what they're thinking. I mean, the stuff we pulled out, I just met you. <laughs> And the stuff we pulled out, and your wife said, I mean, you just articulated it, right? We we can articulate this stuff. Something's going on here. Let's just get it out on the table. Well, we can know something's going on with a candidate before we get them on board. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you want to know this? I had one of my clients say, Jim, here, I kind of look at it this way. When would you want to know you have cancer? And I'm like, well, as soon as possible. He's, well, yes. <laughs> That's the same thing here. Not that, you know, somebody is going to be a cancer when they come in, but they could be. And how many times have you hired somebody and you go, you know, I didn't see that coming. And there they are. I mean, I can, we can get there. We can get quite a ways there using this powerful assessment. So it's one of the primary things, um, services that I offer. And, and most, if not all of people I've engaged with on the client side are using it in some way on the selection side. Um, because we, you know, we get the 75 page report, you get a, a set of graphs. I do a, uh, an analysis that I write up and then we sit down and talk about it as well. And we give you guidance on what does that next interview look like? So my process that I usually recommend is, you know, um, actually ideally we're doing a job benchmark on it, uh, which we've engaged with here as well, which we really sit down and define the job. You've got a job description could be five to 25 pages long. Right. Um, and great, but let's boil it down to the essence of the job. Let's get it really. And then number two, let's get agreement from the hiring team. I mean, how many times you've been on a hiring team and you know, somebody's over there going, I wouldn't have hired that guy. <laughs> and he's on the team. You know, you've already got dissension. You've already got disagreement. We're setting this person up for failure because somebody doesn't agree with that's what, who I would hire, but somebody bullnose their way through and that's who we're going to, it's a friend of my friend of my friend and we're not objective. What do we really need? What does the job really need? Let's a job talk and say what it really needs. And so we set up a process to try to get that in as quickly as possible, but it's, it can be, again, it's a tough conversation about drawing all this out. So a recommendation is if it's a, if it's a critical position of any kind, 
or you're going to hire a lot of them, we should be benchmarking that job and really get down to the essence of what the job requires in the next 18 months, two, three years, whatever, and profile that job. And not just profile it based on who's doing it well, although that's one way to do it. And most benchmark companies or most benchmark consultants, that's what they do, which is fine. It can work that way in a pinch. Um, but if you're the worst team in the league and you're benchmarking your top performers, is that really where you want to be? So I really profess the idea of let's take a look at what the job really needs from an objective standpoint. Let's get it really objective. Let's get out the input we can. We do it in a systematic way. We bring it together. We create a profile around it and then we test it. Now let's test it with your high performers. Let's test it with your low performers. And I'm telling you this works. I did it with a, a bunch of welders at a tractor cab manufacturing organization. I said they weren't believing it. I mean, they didn't buy the whole, I mean, this stuff is tough to sell. <laughs> it's really tough to sell. They didn't buy this thing. And I'm like, well, tell you what, let's just go through it. You give me your top three performers. Cause they had a bunch of welders. Give me your top three performers. Give me your bottom three performers. Don't tell me who they are. We'll run them against the benchmark. And I'll tell you who they are. And they said, you can do that. I said, well, I'll give it a try. <laughs> sure enough. I said, you know, Angie and Joe and Dada, they're your top performers. And these three are your bottom performers. And it's, and I could tell them which order they were in and they, was, they were blown away. And I'm like, okay, now wouldn't you want to know that before you pull the trigger? And so it becomes really powerful when you can do that. So job benchmark first, and then do your own sourcing. However you do that, your own first interview, your own screening in terms of, you know, job requirements, what is really, really required education experience, that sort of thing. Uh, definitely. You got to do that. This is only the stuff I'm doing is only one leg of the stool. It's really not the entire thing. I'm not a, I'm not a recruiter, I'm not a sourcer. I think I've hired one person in my entire life, but I can help you hire your people. That's what's so interesting about that. I don't have the, have the answers. You have the answers. We draw it out with the process and the tool. And so it's really, really cool that way. And you do your sourcing, get down to your final one, two, three candidates. Uh, we run them through the assessment. And if we've got a benchmark, ideally we do, we run them against the benchmark and we can start pulling it out from there and teasing it out from there. And then we recommend one more, at least one more interview that really goes deep based on what the assessment findings are telling you and against the benchmark and who they're going to report to and what are some of the ins and outs of their attitudes and what's going on there. And you can really go deep into those next set of questions. And that's going to give you the the real <clears throat> rubber meets the road in terms of who kind of shines through. And I remember, I think you had one, you probably tell the story, but you had one that were like on paper, they were like neck and neck. You, you couldn't really tell the difference. They were both good and they both met the benchmark pretty well. And then you got them in, you went a little deeper with those questions and then bang, it started to show up, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. And that, and I think that's the message that I would have for, for professionals in my, in my seat who are leading yeah. an HR department. And for those who hire people yeah. is that this is not a silver bullet. No, it is not used that way. It is not defined that way. Yeah. It is all about a one part of the yeah conversation around hiring. And so in that, in, in that, uh, scenario you are describing, we had that and all of us on the hiring team had our initial gut reaction to who was going to shine more in that final interview. And we were all dead wrong. Mm. There was no doubt in our minds after we got through that process, that what we thought, what we felt was so completely opposite of what the reality was in that D 
deeper dive yep. in that in those final interviews. And that's where the power really hit for the rest of us on the leadership team mm. and sold us on this process, part of the process. Right. Because like the personal debrief, the benchmark process was pulling people together who are uber busy, busy and don't have the patience sometimes to walk through this. And I think we all probably said in some ways, Jim, we already know what we're looking for. Yeah. And, after, <laughs> and after we went through that first debrief conversation, we all went, whoa. I guess we weren't as 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 lockstep as we mm-hmm. thought we were, and so then you fast forward through the interview piece, and our and the recruiting team here really found it valuable oh. because they were able to think about different questions on the front end as mm-hmm. we were screening people out based on that benchmark. Right, and then when we went through that final interview, it was that moment of aha, this is really helpful. And again, it wasn't telling us who to hire or not to hire, nope. and I would caution people to to not use any assessment that way, even if it is EEOC compliant, it doesn't matter. That's not the intention of it. It is part of helping you address some of the, the environmental concerns that might be there for the organization, who they report to the team that's around them. Mm -hmm. And this is why uh, it goes to the deeper conversation around using and embedding this across the organization, because the more data that you have out of the assessment, the more you understand the what and why and how it plays out in a team, the better you know not only what you're looking for, but who you're looking for. And that's been our lesson and aha as we've moved into 2021 is being able to harness the data and embed that into the organization. So for us, we have almost all of our people now have gone through the TTI yeah. uh, in our organization and have gone through the personal debrief and have gone through, I think what we are calling now kind of our calibration conversation. Yeah, like comparison meeting? Yeah, mm-hmm. so that we are are talking about the results of the uh, debrief and how the, the manager and their direct report can play off of each other's strengths and weaknesses and how they engage that data and how people perceive themselves first and others perceive them second in that in that process right. for getting the work done and and so now we have gone deeper into that so this year we've now uh, we are hiring critical seats this year yeah. and we have in the first quarter already right. and this process has been instrumental for us to feel good about who we actually hired. It's never a hundred percent. Never. Hiring never is. You're always going to miss even when you go through this robust process. Mm -hmm. But I think it's taught us the lesson that we do genuinely need to make sure that we are taking each of these steps seriously so that we don't make a mistake because as we built our culture around our core values and we, we lead with this, having one person in a critical seat that doesn't match up to this causes a lot of problems in the organization and it it doesn't help us as we lead forward. And so we are now this year using this tool in those one-on-one conversations. We have mm-hmm. weekly cadence of one-on-ones uh, across our organization. Awesome. And so we are challenging all of our managers in particular to be able to pull that out and to look at that again and say, oh, how am I showing up first and foremost for myself? So we actually ask our managers to look at their own TTI before they sit down with their one-on-ones so that they are saying, it starts with me. Because one of my messages across the organization when I deal with leaders is it starts with us. If we're Mm -hmm. not true to ourselves as leaders, 
both good and bad, then I, I can't expect the people around right. me to be vulnerable and authentic themselves. Because what people typically do when they are being managed by somebody is how do I manipulate that <laughs> even in a, even in a good way mm-hmm. to get what I want mm-hmm. and to show up the way I think they want me to show up. And so when you're having those calibration meetings, what we found last year uh, in conversations after the fact was that they went, well, yeah, now I know how my boss actually thinks. Mm-hmm. So what he says may be very different than what I thought because I now understand where it's coming from. Right. And we have the same thing happening with our managers. So this year we're taking that next step of embedding it into the cadence of what we're already doing. So here's one of the keys that I think is important for any organization who is trying to use whatever tool it is. And this, this type of, of piece in their organization, it's, you need to embed it into things that are already happening in your organization, because if you're not, you are likely in a in a spot where you're asking people to do more and they don't have more to give at no. this point. They just don't. Everybody is working hard. Yep. Everybody is doing more with less. And so if you if you if this is seen as an as an add-on to something somebody has to do above and beyond, they're going to throw it into it's the trash the or in yep. the drawer because it's just too much. And so from your coaching perspective when you think about this what are you able to help organizations who have been successful in in embedding this in their organization versus those who have gone yeah jim i like this but there's no way what's the diff, what what's the what have you learned along the way that has helped this to become something more uh, robust in organizations, particularly in the last year, because I know you've shared with me yeah. that this has really kind of taken off for you in some ways after the long process of of identifying this for yourself or what this actually meant. Right, right, yeah. Gosh, that's a tough question. Um, I think the, the the kicker is this idea of again they they just they kind of see what you've just explained, which is they they see how this needs to be a tool embedded in what they have already done. I mean, I, I don't go into organizations and say, we need to revamp your, your performance review process, your performance appraisal process. No. Are you having one-on-ones with your people? Well, yeah, typically I do. Or if you're not, maybe we should start. I mean, that's an add-on, but, and typically people are busy and that's why they're not having one-on-ones. But if you're, and I tell people, if you're, if you're going to use this tool, you need to use it in the rest of your processes that you're already doing performance appraisal or, one-on-ones, just the normal conversations, know who you're talking about, know who you are. Leadership starts with self-awareness. And so just having that and understanding where you're coming from can automatically change your attitude. What what I've seen happen in organizations is when the attitude changes to your point, those some of those conversations after the fact that say, now I know what he's thinking, where it's coming from. When I hear those, those you know, some of the comments that my boss makes, I go, well, well I don't understand that. Where's that coming from? And then you see, you have the conversation about comparing you two together and you go, oh, that's where that's coming from. So you're not weird. <laughs> no, I'm not weird. I'm just different. You know, <laughs> like, okay, I can get different. Right. But I thought you were weird. And so just, you know, just being able to see that and being able to have folks understand what that looks like. But yeah, I think. I don't know what it is. I mean, people have asked me that, Jim. What has been the change since, you know, a year or two ago when you're just kind of banging on doors trying to figure out, you know, who's who's going to get it and who's not going to get it? I don't I don't know if I have a 
particular answer other than to say, you know, God's in control. But um, I think folks start to see that there is some power in that self-awareness and other awareness. I mean, it's, it really is the root of emotional intelligence, which we have an EQ assessment too. I mean, I can do EQ. I'm certified in EQ as well, but it, and it's good, but this goes to the why you're thinking what you're thinking and, and where it's really coming from so that you can actually do something about it. Then you can kind of take EQ and go, okay, is it making any difference? Am I, is my EQ going up? <laughs> is my self-regulation or, or self-management or self-awareness going up? Is any of that going up? Is my motivation going up? Because I'm now more aligned with my job. I can see where I align with my job. And when you think about it as leaders and managers, that's our job, right? Our job is to help you do the best work you can in this organization. Okay, we're going here. This is you. How do we make that all sync up, right? Great managers know how to do that, and they do it through conversations. I read a book. Uh, Gallup has a new book. I don't know if it's that new, but uh, they have a new book, and I'm not a big book reader, and I've been piecing through this thing. It's called It's the Manager. And, it, and of course, it comes with a StrengthsFinder assessment, which is a good one, too. I love StrengthsFinder, and it partners well with TTI, by the way. Um but in there, they talk about five critical conversations that managers need to have. And one of them is a developmental coaching manager. And in bold letters, they go, if there's one thing managers, can, leaders can do, it is to develop. Gallup recommends they develop coaching skills in their managers. True coaching skills. I, I looked at it and went, well, hallelujah. I should have <laughs> wrote this dang book for crying out <laughs> So, I mean, it's out there. I mean, it's it. This is not rocket science. It's just executing on this. We get in our own way because we have to have the answer, you know, and I'm not doing any value if I'm not giving advice because I've been there, done that. You know, I don't know. It's a, I guess it's hard to answer that question. Really what, what has been the, the hinge pin when it's sometimes somebody just gets it like you got it. You know, my other, uh, we got another client, two clients now that are sitting back on, I think I get it. <laughs> and so, yes, let's go. I can see that this will build capacity and capability. I can see that this will get the monkey up. And think about the, the personal peace value of that. If you can get the monkey off your back and push decisions down, oh, that's huge. You know, when you can start to do that, it frees you up to do more and better things. It builds capacity in the organization. This stuff does this. And so I guess that's the biggest thing. Well, and I think from our experience here and what I've experienced in other organizations where we've created a values-based organization, when one of your core tenets uh, of doing anything is to develop leaders, right. regardless of what seat they sit in in the organization, this is where I found that synergy with what yeah. you do. And again, I always go back to, and I say this to you all the time, it's not about the TTI tool. Mm. You sort of led with that often. And I've got, no, 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 mm. it is about you and the magic that you bring to it from a true coaching perspective. And that's what we've learned in, in our organization. And it's also actually what has helped me to accelerate what is typically a five to seven to eight year process of creating a fully values-based organization, we've actually found a way to accelerate that movement. Now, it's never done. You're never no. arriving. And that's one of the lessons that almost all of us in leadership, if we've learned anything, is that you don't ever arrive at leadership. You are always on that journey. Yes. Sometimes you're better at it than others, but you're always journeying through that. That's what I've learned by using what you bring to the organization. And it's why I consider you a true partner in our organization is that 
if we're going to be a leadership organization, we need to be able to have people have that self-awareness of themselves, but also have a mindset that it's first internal and then it's external. Right. So it is about learning what I do well and what I don't do well, being aware of it. And it's not focused on the things that I don't do well necessarily. Right. Right. It's also not focused on all the things I do well. It's in the middle road that we are successful. And this is where I think a lot of other assessments get it wrong to be quite fair, is that they are either focused on helping you develop the things that you're not good at anyway, or so uh, have such an emphasis on your strengths that you forget that there's a whole middle road mm -hmm. that if you just get better at those incrementally, you actually emphasize all your strengths anyway, yes. and you find a way to bring a team together that offsets those things you're not good at. And especially in senior leaders, that's critical because we are building teams. Yes. It's not about what I do every day. It's about what the team is doing right. and am I helping them to elevate? And that that's what you've been able to do for our organization. It's why I've started to call you that culture coach, mm. because that's what we are, are built around. If if all we were doing was using the tool and you were just helping to us administer it, you wouldn't be a partner for our organization. Right. Right. Uh, and, and because we are a company that is built around our culture and we are all in on that, we've thrown every chip in that you can to build that culture. It's why you have found traction with us in the organization. I would argue that that's why you've been found success in what you've seen in the last 12 to 18 months. Because for you, what I've seen is a change in your own dynamic. So it's oh, yeah. interesting to hear you talk about what others experience by you going through it. I think it started though with your shift in saying, I'm only going to spend the time with the places that really get it. I'm not going to try mm -hmm. and convince them that they need to get it. I'm just going to do what I do and they're, uh, I'm going to spend my time there. So um, as we wrap things up today, what's one thing that you would want others to hear who are thinking about, oh, how do I help the, how do I help my organization by using the coach first mentality mm -hmm. um, to be able to be successful? What's one thing that you'd say, what can I, what, where would they start? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great question too. I would, I would recommend, you know, if you're, if you're an organization that definitely needs to be a values-based organization, it's, and most people are, they may not have articulated most, most companies, they have some sort of values there somewhere, but they haven't really articulated it. Um, you do want to put the tools and pieces in place and the coaching first is really the, the idea of believing in people. And if you can do that, I mean, I don't know, start with the idea that your purpose is really to develop people. Yes, you need to make money. You get the, you need to get the stuff out the door. You need to actually do this stuff. But if your purpose is to develop people, maximize human potential, the rest is going to follow. And, and I think it's a really hard pill to swallow, but I would recommend you take a hard look at why are you doing this? And if you're just going to use it as a tool to manipulate getting your way within the organization or, you know, as a chess game, then it's not going to really work. What you really need to do is maximize human potential. When you start to maximize human potential, all those other chess pieces fall in place. I guess that would be the thing, the, the basic premise. It's really, as a leader, we need to maximize human potential. You said yourself, we're building teams. That's maximizing human potential. I mean, 
yeah, it's all in alignment with what we have to do, what the specifics of the job and the, and the industry and what we're doing and the customer experience and what we're trying to deliver. That's where leaders earn their pay, right? Is you maximize human potential to do that specific stuff. But it's really at the end of the day, it's about maximizing human potential. It's about believing in people really more than they believe in themselves so that they can do the work we need them to do. And in an engaged way that has, we can have fun and make money. <laughs> when I started this thing, I was like, how do I have fun and make money at the same time? And it's like, it seems like a dynamic it can't do. Right. And, and now it's finally starting to go, which is kind of starting to fun to see. And it's fun to, fun to be with. Cause it's, it's just trying to maximize human potential is the best. It's so much fun to see people grow and see people work and start to have fun doing it and give them hope to do, to be able to go do something that they, they want to do, even if it's in the same job, just to be able to see it differently, just see, have to see their boss differently. You can give them hope to go and wow, I can, I was just about going to leave, but I can see where I fit now. You know, it's just some of those conversations are just fascinating when they happen. So I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, the idea is maximizing human potential. I mean, the first thing I would do if I was an organization that wanted to utilize assessments Think about where you're coming from on it. Why are you doing it? It's because everybody else is doing it. I mean, and, and you're right. I have sat back and gone, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince people anymore. You're going to go through it. And if you can see where it fits, I can tell you where it's going to fit. Now I used to have a hard time doing that, but I can tell you where it's going to fit. If that resonates, you could be a good client. If not, I'm not going to bust my head against the wall trying to make you believe it because it just doesn't work. I've spent 10 years trying to do that and it doesn't work. <laughs> It took me a long time. Well, I've appreciated the conversation. I know that uh, that this works uh, for those organizations out there who are interested in learning more about uh, what Jim offers. We'll put a link on this uh, podcast uh, that you can you can connect with him. Uh, and and I would highly recommend it if you are a values based organization or are, are trying to become a values based organization. Jim is right. Almost every organization has values. They have a culture. It's a whether or not you are intentional about bringing those to the forefront. If you are, I would highly recommend uh, connecting with Jim and his organization and helping your organization maximize human potential. The power truly is in the conversation. And today that has been highlighted mm -hmm. in this conversation. So thank you for spending the time with us to talk about your journey and how it has intersected with our journey at FCP Services. Yeah, thanks, John. And pleasure being here. And thank you. Couldn't have done it without you, so thanks. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.